Great. Um, as Steve said, we're continuing in a small series on, with the subject Undivided, and it's all about the unity of the church. And today, we're talking about hospitality. And hospitality is just one aspect of what David was speaking about last week, which was one anothering. Lots of passages in the Bible, lots of teaching from the Apostle Paul talks about how we relate, how we serve, how we love one another, those one anothering. So, hospitality. Who had the first slide, please? This is the actress, Patricia Routledge, and she is playing who? Is it Bucket or Bouquet? She would have said it was Bouquet although it's spelt bucket. Inviting, she's here inviting people to one of her candlelit suppers. You remember that? Where every detail has to be just so, with glamorous table settings and picture-perfect food. What she was doing was more properly called, I think, entertaining. And whilst hospitality may well include entertaining, it's far broader than that. And... Uh, Whereas Hyacinth was out to impress people with the high-class lavishness of her event and um, drawing attention to herself. And of course, the series was called Keeping Up Appearances. That was what it was all about, how she appeared to other people. But Christian hospitality has as its core humility and service, where the guests are made to feel accepted, honoured and special. And although not listed as a specific spiritual gift in the Bible, some Christians clearly have a special gift of hospitality. But where it's mentioned in the New Testament, it's something that we're all encouraged to practice. So here's a flavor of that, two scriptures, one from Romans and one from 1 Peter. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then 1 Peter. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As we see from these verses, it's not for our benefit, but for the enrichment of others. It's about serving those around us, it's about loving others through Christ and making them feel special. Um, it, um, it will be especially towards the body of believers and is a foundational part of our life together, as David was explaining last week. But the thing that makes biblical hospitality distinct, that it's not just for people like us, those that we feel at one with, those that we feel comfortable with, and not even just for fellow believers in the church, but also for the outsider that the Bible sometimes calls 
the alien and the stranger. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. What a fascinating verse it is. What, what's that about? It suggests that when we show hospitality to strangers, it may be a God appointment where he is actively involved, where, which highlights the importance of reaching out beyond our church, beyond our normal circle of acquaintances, beyond our comfort zone. And, uh, but more of this later. The next slide. When we, when we think of biblical hospitality... Um, there are a number of words that came to my mind, and they are like welcome, inclusion, acceptance, open-hearted, open home, sharing, making a place for others, non-judgmental, and perhaps more difficult, vulnerability and cost, even sacrifice. It's about opening our lives to others for their benefit, and of course it may involve opening our homes. Hospitality is a practice that extends way back uh, to the book of Genesis. And hospitality is integral to the earliest of Bible stories. Hospitality is a significant part of Abraham's story in Genesis. So, for example, when Abraham wanted to find a, a bride, a wife for his son, Isaac, he sent his servant to Mesopotamia, back to his family, back to Abraham's family, to find a bride from there. The servant was concerned that the woman would not go with him. Abraham assured him that the Lord would send his angel before him. And sure enough, the Lord showed the servant which of the women um, that, that uh, God had chosen who would come to draw water from the well was to be Isaac's wife. And it was, of course, Rebekah. Through gestures of hospitality, a place was found for the servant and his camels, water to wash his feet and the feet of those who were with him, and food was set before them. After the servant told Rebekah's brother Laban how he came to be there and had given gifts to Rebekah and her brother and mother, the men were given a place to stay the night. In the morning, Re Rebekah and her young women on camels, went back with the servant to Abraham and Isaac. Just a lovely story of how God was weaving his story into the lives of these people. And hospitality was a significant element of it. Some stories are about the proper way to treat a stranger, whilst others are about how not to treat a stranger. Later in the Old Testament, Rahab welcomes the Hebrew spies and hides them in her house in Jericho. Elijah receives the hospitality of the woman of widow of Zarephath. And Elisha is hosted by the Shunammite woman. And uh, it's interesting that these two ladies um, showed hospitality out of their poverty, not out of their plenty. And God expands the notion of hospitality to include more than meals. It became central to the very identity of what it meant to be the people of God. In Leviticus 19.34 we read, 
You shall treat the stranger who sojourns, that stays with you, as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Sorry, I have to compete with so much behind my ears. This is falling off. Okay. Yeah, you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That last statement, I am the Lord of your God, is there because I believe God was saying, this is how I am, this is how I, I am hospitable, and you must be the same. Later on in the Old Testament, God's prophets remind Israel and Judah that God will judge them based on how they care for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. That is, by the degree to which they provide outsiders with the privileges that automatically come to those who are part of the community. Hospitality is extending privilege across difference and across boundaries. God blessed the Israelites by making them a distinct people, separate from the nations around them, that they might be his very own and that he might love them. And although distinct, they were to be a light to these people that are called the Gentiles. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. They were to be a visual aid of what a people living under God's care and protection and sovereignty uh, was like. And they were meant to be a means by which the nations would come to God. This was God's promise to Abraham, you remember? Through you, he said, through you and your family will all the families of the earth be blessed. Those who were drawn to God's people from other nations, sometimes, as I said, referred to as aliens and strangers, were meant to experience hospitality, not just the hospitality of the people, but the hospitality of God. They were meant to be drawn into a loving community that treated outsiders like insiders. Through the pages of the New Testament, we see the living God existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in fellowship of mutual love, one for the other, complete and needing nothing, yet through the incarnation has welcomed broken human beings like us into this fellowship of his love. God's hospitality was and is lavish and costly, requiring the son to expose himself to the worst that sinners could inflict on him in order that the very same sinners could be washed clean and drawn into intimate fellowship with this three-in-one God. Experience the love of the Father. Although specific, not specifically about hospitality, I just love the opening um, verses of the first letter of John that we find towards the end of the Bible. First letter of John, verse one, uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. And um, it's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father 
and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. Some versions have that your joy may be complete. We are welcomed into the joy of the Father and the Son. This is hospitality. The gospel is the declaration of what God has done to deal with our sin and reconcile us to himself, open a way for friendship with him that we might enjoy his hospitality. Jesus is described as that new and living way. This required God to become our servant. You know, Jesus said, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. A verse that was central to the coronation service, wasn't it? Absolutely amazing how much the word of God appeared in that service. As David mentioned last week, this was demonstrated by Jesus when on the night when he was betrayed, he gathered his disciples in what we refer to as the Last Supper and insisted on washing their feet, the task of the lowest servant in the house. When Peter protested, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. We have to allow God to do what only he can do in our lives. In order to save us, Jesus made himself vulnerable, of no reputation, despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's what Isaiah tells us, doesn't he? Just so that we could enjoy the grace, mercy, love and the hospitality of the creator of all things. We are called to be like him, to demonstrate to the world, not just tell them, but demonstrate that our God is loving and merciful and welcoming to the worst of sinners. I can illustrate this by um, one of the unique opportunities I have in working with CAP. During the first meeting with the client, during my introduction, I say something like, we are here, because I take somebody with me and some of you have been with me to visit clients, we are here because we believe God loves you. That is an immense privilege to be in someone's home, sit down with them and tell them. But more than that, I go on to say, and we want to show you that love by helping you and supporting you. So it's not just telling, but it's showing as well. And I I must say, I, I get unique opportunities like that. I know that um, the context of this sermon is about the hospitality um, contributing to the unity of the church, but I I want, um, for the rest of the talk, I want to carry on talking about hospitality to those outside the church, those not yet Christians, because I believe here in the UK, hospitality in its broadest sense, either individual or corporate, is the most likely way we are going to reach non-believers. You don't need me to tell you that in our lifetime, well, certainly in my lifetime, um, the world has changed out of all proportion. The way we do things, the way we communicate, the way we engage in entertainment, they have all changed. The gospel, of course, has not changed, but people's attitude to it has changed. For example, at one time, you could get the proverbial soapbox, put it on the street corner, stand on it, begin to preach, and you would gather a crowd. 
and you could preach the gospel openly and some people might well be saved through that. I can remember in the late 50s, long before some of you were born, Haringey Arena in London filled night after night to hear the famous American preacher Billy Graham with thousands streaming to the front to receive Christ in response to his gospel message. There may be people here who were saved during those crusades. However, many people today have a negative view of Christianity. Of course, it may come from a dislike of religion in general. They've concluded it's outmoded in this scientific age. Or it might be because of a lack of Christian education as they've grown up, unlike many of us received. They now see it as totally irrelevant. There are children and young people growing up who haven't heard who Jesus is. They don't know who Jesus is. Tragically, some have negative feelings towards Christianity because of judgmental Christian attitudes that they have encountered, or the bad press of abuse scandals in the church, or their experience of church that is, frankly, just boring. The key thing that will dispel people's negative views is not someone preaching at them, even though the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. It often seems that we're answering questions they aren't asking, and they're not listening anyway. We have to find ways to open up minds and hearts. We have to give more time to making friends, showing love, and slowly removing barriers, helping people to be ready to hear and receive the message. There's a great quote from Teddy Roosevelt, former US president. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think that's a great quote. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Cold call Christianity regularly proves to be a great turnoff to people. In contrast, the major reason why Alpha, most of you know about Alpha, some of you have been on it, some have helped with Alpha, the introductory course to the Christian faith, the reason why it's been so successful here and abroad is that each weekly session has at its heart a shared meal and a clear strategy for making outsiders feel like insiders. The welcome is everything. And it's the testimony of many who ultimately came to faith through the course that they kept attending, not because they immediately found the message engaging, but it was because of the meal and the friendship which clearly demonstrated an accepting, uh, acceptance and love. It was the hospitality. Someone has coined the phrase, care before you share. For us believers, Jesus left us with two major instructions. One we call the Great Commandment and the other the Great Commission. They'll come on the screen. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you 
always to the end of the age. It may be a coincidence, the order in which these appear in the Gospels. By that I mean in Luke's Gospel, it's quite early on. And in Matthew's Gospel, it's towards the end. But I think it could be significant. We are to love our neighbour before we try to make him a disciple, him or her a disciple. I know that in the past I've had wrong attitudes regarding evangelism. I've seen it as a project more than about people. I've thought, if, I, if only I can shoehorn John 3.16 into this conversation, the person will get the gospel and they will be saved. Um, and I did this without much consideration for the needs of the person. Looking back, I don't think any were saved by this method. Mention the word evangelism and many Christians get nervous, saying, it's not for me, it's for the experts. But mention caring through hospitality and people relax more, seeing this as doable. So what does it mean in practice? God is sovereign and he determines where we should live. He determines who our neighbours are and who else is part of our community. And the question is, do we have love for the people that God has placed around us? I find this incredibly challenging. I keep telling myself, I'm, I'm, I live where I do because of the neighbours around me. But I find it incredibly hard to engage with them sometimes because he wants to show them his love through us. And this will happen as we find ways to engage with them, often on their terms. Jesus did not treat people as projects, but had compassion on them. On an individual or family basis, we may be able to find reasons to invite our neighbours into our home or into our garden, maybe just for coffee, but some may find this a daunting prospect. They're not used to having people in or perhaps because they've never thought that their home was smart enough. But we're there to love them, not to impress them. And God will bless what we give, however meagre we think it is. On a church level, we have regular activities such as tots and teas, an art group, or the occasional activities such as children's or Christmas parties, where we can offer hospitality to people we have been building relationships or friendships with. How we do Sunday meetings, I believe, should always be kept under review to be sure that we're able to make the outsider feel as comfortable and welcome as possible. Acceptance of others is essential to our calling. Jesus makes it clear that our role is not to judge others, but to love them and accept them just as they are. Sadly, in the past, some Christians have been judgmental of those whose lifestyle they don't approve of, considering it their Christian duty to let them know that they're out of line with God's standards. After all, how are they going to know that they've got to repent? I have mistakenly assumed that they need to hear the bad news before they hear the good news. There's some logic in that, isn't it? Because the good news doesn't sound that great until you've accepted the bad news. And many Christian tracts are laid out on that basis, starting with all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything essentially wrong with this method, but um, it's worth noting the famous 
um, verse in the New Testament that we can all quote, John 3:16, is followed by verse 17, which says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The first thing Jesus wants people to know is that God loves them. Okay? I believe that's the first, not that they've fallen short, but that God loves them. Welcoming, accepting, and loving others does not of necessity imply approval of their lifestyle. We must love people and allow God to do the judging and ultimately to do the changing. Before we close, let's look again at um, the early church as David did last week when considering one anothering. And I trust so far that you've seen that, that hospitality is at the heart of one anothering. Let's look at Acts 2, 42 to 27. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day after day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those uh, who were being saved. Right. Um, I wonder about that, that uh, statement that they had favour with all the people. We often look at this verse, these verses and we concentrate on the signs and wonders, which is a great thing to do. But how did they have favour with all the people? Of course, um, they weren't giving out ice creams, which would have been a, a really good thing to do. But um, no, we're not told exactly. But I think it was because they were open, approachable, and hospitable to all, irrespective of race or creed or social standing. The Christians were distinctly different from their rest of society. One of the primary reasons why the gospel spread throughout the Roman Empire was that the Christians practiced a different kind of hospitality. Ancient Romans typically practiced hospitality for important people. That is for only for people who could give them something in return. But the Christians became noted for extending hospitality to all, even the least of these. This was a significant part of how the early church how the early church developed a reputation of love. The early church loved outsiders as if they belonged. Our Christian motivation for extending hospitality to the stranger is our experience of receiving hospitality from God. We were estranged from God with no claims on him, but God in his great love for us offered us hospitality while we were still sinners. He invited us into his household, not just as guests, but as adopted joint heirs with Christ. 
And God's hospitality came at a cost. His only son had to suffer and die so that we might have a place once again at God's table. Hospitality is at the core of the Christian experience. In this day and age, so many people are ignorant of God and the gospel. Our hospitality may be the first taste they get that God is loving and welcoming. This may mean we have to change the way we do things so that they feel a sense of belonging before they believe. Let's try to be the most hospitable people in town. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to be creative in finding ways to engage with those around us, especially those whose lifestyle is very different from ours. Help us to be Jesus to them and help us by the power of your spirit to love them with the love that you've not only shown us, but that has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.